Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the journal Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics, produced in association with Wiley. In this episode, I interview Mark A. Ware from McGill University about medical education on cannabis and cannabinoids, perspectives, challenges, and opportunities. What are your experiences with medical cannabis education? I have been involved in research and education around medical cannabis for the last 16 years. And it's been my experience as an educator that over the past 16 years, our learners' needs have evolved, uh, but still remain very immature when it comes to the science of medical cannabinoids. This relates to not only the existence of the endogenous cannabinoid system, the availability of prescription cannabinoids, but also the science concerning the potential benefits and potential risks of the use of cannabis in medical practice. It's clear from giving many educational sessions that there are far more questions than answers at this time, and therefore medical education is actually a very good way to stimulate and generate questions that can then be taken forward for research purposes, as really research is then guided by the needs of the practitioners and the patients. Why do you think that education for healthcare professionals and medical cannabis differs from other pharmacological approaches? Medical cannabis has not followed the conventional pathway uh, that we normally see with pharmaceutical drug development. That is to say that cannabis was not brought through the typical pharmaceutical pipeline, going from preclinical to phase one, two, three, and four studies. Herbal cannabis is most often available in its herbal uh, dried flower form uh, through ballot initiatives, through voter initiatives, or through legal and court challenges. And therefore, physicians have been catapulted into a position where they're being asked about a drug for which the typical clinical trial data is not available. This means that they do not have the standard product monographs, they do not have the clinical trial literature to review, and therefore they lack the large-scale evidence that they're accustomed to seeing with pharmaceutical compounds. This doesn't mean, however, that there isn't information out there. The existence of legal medical cannabis programs globally in countries like Holland, Israel, and Canada, and on a state level in the United States, means that physicians are faced with the reality that herbal cannabis and its derivatives are being made available, and it is our responsibility as practitioners to familiarize ourselves with whatever data there is so that we can have and make meaningful, informed decisions with our patients. Just because the data does not come to us packaged up in the way we're accustomed does not mean that it does not exist. It just means we have to work a little bit harder in order to obtain it. Who are the stakeholders in the development and support of medical cannabis education? There are many potential stakeholders in the medical cannabis education field. And these range from the government level, both federal governments where such programs are available, 
down to state and provincial governments where licensing and regulation of clinical practice, physicians, nurse practitioners, etc., are usually regulated. Medical boards and licensing bodies also have a stake in ensuring that their physicians and their members are adequately informed as to the existence of and the scientific evidence for or against the use of cannabis in medical practice. Academic organizations and institutions have a stake in medical cannabis because it is clear that our students coming up through undergraduate and postgraduate programs need to be aware of what medical cannabis is, why the debate is so, um, so in intricate and divisive, uh, and that they should be prepared for a world in which cannabis is increasingly becoming a reality for patients and their families, and they need to be equipped and uh, prepared for such discussions to take place. Special interest groups such as cancer societies, multiple sclerosis groups, HIV AIDS associations, arthritis societies all have an interest as their patients are increasingly contacting them to understand or to appreciate whether cannabis has potential therapeutic value for their members. And so they have a stake in informing themselves and their membership about the issues surrounding medical cannabis. Medical education companies, clearly as the potential developers and deliverers of medical education, clearly see opportunities in the unique situation that medical cannabis poses as, a, as an educational discipline. The medical cannabis industry itself, which is evolving rapidly to fulfill the need for quality control products, also has a stake, much as the pharmaceutical industry has a stake in medical education around its products. And clearly the nature and the relationships that are necessary uh, for such companies to engage and to develop this education <clears throat> to ensure that such approaches are free or as free as possible of biases and influences uh, clearly needs to be addressed. Insurance companies and third-party payers are increasingly asking questions about whether cannabis is something that should be paid for. They clearly have an interest in understanding the cost-effectiveness and cost-utility of, of cannabis when used as a medical practice. But within their ranks, there is a need for their agents and for their boards and their decision-makers to understand what cannabis is and why uh, it's become such a topic of interest for patients and policymakers. Drug policy advocacy groups are also a major stakeholder as they are clearly engaged in discussions and debates around the position of cannabis and its legal status, uh, both at local and global levels. And clearly they need to be uh, uh, made more aware of the science and the potential risks and benefits of cannabis in used in medical practice. Philanthropic individuals and organizations are also potentially uh, targets for funding of such medical education programs and clearly need to see the value in supporting and allowing this education to develop and to be disseminated in order to reach the hands and the minds of the people who need it. And finally, public health agencies who have a clear stake in monitoring the use of cannabis on a large scale using epidemiological techniques uh, clearly need to understand what kinds of things to look for, what kinds of signals need to be uh, 
need to be detected uh, if there are to be concerns about the safety of cannabis in our society. Why do you suggest a cannabis curriculum? We propose that a cannabis curriculum needs to be developed in order to provide a framework for the development of medical cannabis educational programs. And at first glance, it may seem in intuitive that medical education around any product is fairly straightforward. We want to know about risks and benefits. But in the case of cannabis, this curriculum needs to extend far beyond this. There are some very interesting and very important pieces of information that are required regarding the history of cannabis as medicine in order to appreciate why we are in this unique position that we find ourselves in in 2015. We need to understand the plant itself, how it produces and why it produces the compounds that are of medicinal interest, as well as those that appear to modulate or may modulate the effects of the major cannabinoid compounds. We need to understand the fundamental target for these drugs, the endocannabinoid system in human physiology, both in normal terms and in pathological states. We need to understand the pharmacology of cannabinoid compounds, how they are absorbed, distributed, metabolized, and excreted. We need to know the differences between inhaled and oral cannabinoid administration and appreciate the differences between single-agent pharmacology and the complex botanical mixtures that occur when patients use whole plant extracts or derivatives. <clears throat> of course, we need to understand what data there is on the potential efficacy of cannabinoids in different disease states, as well as important concerns around the possible safety considerations when patients are using these compounds. Importantly, with respect to safety, is an, uh, the necessity for clinicians to understand cannabis misuse and abuse as a widely abused recreational drug. There is clearly an important distinction between medical use and recreational use, and it is important that physicians be equipped to detect and potentially treat cannabis disorders where the use of the drug is not associated with improvements in health, but where it may actually be detrimental. Finally, legal considerations at the local level need to be taught because cannabis is regulated on a huge range of different frameworks or within a huge range of different frameworks across the countries and across the globe. And so for a clinician practicing in any given jurisdiction, it's important that they understand what the local and regional laws and status of cannabis is for their own patients and practice. And it's important for all of this information to be communicated to patients in a way that they can understand and absorb. And Importantly, many patients nowadays come equipped with their own understanding and their own perspective on medical cannabis, including their own language and the language of cannabis culture and the use of cannabis on the street. So it's important for physicians to appreciate the highly stigmatized nature of the drug and the patients who use it and to be able to communicate with the patients in a balanced and unjudgmental way so as to ensure that the therapeutic relationship remains intact. What do you see as priorities in medical cannabis education in the future? 
medical cannabis education clearly has to evolve to the point where it is available and accessible to the people who require this information, predominantly the practitioners and their patients. In modern terms, medical education is increasingly being distributed and developed for online tools, and it is important that information regarding medical cannabis follow the same pathways. Online tools for medical education are increasingly being developed and evaluated, and these could form very powerful and important mechanisms for cannabis education to reach uh, the places where it needs to go. Clearly, there is room for conventional medical education at the uh, continuing medical education level or continuing professional development in the form of accredited cannabinoid education programs. These can take the form of small group sessions, uh, larger lectures and presentations in conferences and congresses, but also may be powerfully delivered in journal clubs as well as smaller focused webinars. Other priorities include a very clear pipeline between cannabis research and education, and this knowledge transfer needs to be carefully developed and nurtured because as there is such a thirst for knowledge, it is very important that as the data emerge that it be transferred again to the people who need to have this information in making clinical decisions. This means that potential risks that are identified should be transferred very quickly to people that need to be making informed decisions, i.e. practitioners and their patients, but also important data as it emerges with respect to efficacy, new clinical trials, new data on dosages and potential interactions should also be transferred rapidly. So my feeling is that we need a global network of research, a pipeline of knowledge transfer from research to education and a meaningful and effective mechanism of distributing cannabis knowledge out to the practitioners and patients so that we are all in a position to make informed and meaningful decisions when it comes to considering whether or not there's a role for cannabis in medical practice. That was Mark A. Ware, and you can find his article at onlinelibrary.wiley.com. I'm Dennis Velasco. Thank you for listening. Blind Farm Pod is a co-production of the American Society for Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics and Wiley.